right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as family, united on one purpose, here to learn more about you and bring you glory with our lives. We thank you for the honor and privilege uh, of just being part of your plan. Uh, thank you for giving us the power to do things that are supernatural and being able to put aside ourselves and our fears and our dislikes and go forward in faith in whatever you have for us. Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful for Jesus Christ who made this all possible for us so that we don't have to worry about eternal life or earning our way. But you have set the path. You have redeemed us. You've given us an inheritance in heaven that we are confident in because you're perfect and you cannot lie. Father, we ask that you bless this message right now. Have us concentrate. Have us listen to your spirit. Help us hear the message you have for us tonight. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, God's love for orphans, part two. So I suspect and hope that uh, the primary reason for this topic this week might have given you new perspective. And anytime the Spirit gives us another way to look at things and another way to see His grace, we can be very grateful for that. We should be very grateful for that because it's a chance to grow closer to Him. You know, the more, the more um, views we get, the more glimpses we get of His grace and His majesty and His love, the more we can grow, draw closer to Him, right? God knows we need it because here we are walking by faith and not by sight. And we doubt from time to time because we can't see him. But as he gives us and shows us more grace, we're able to draw closer and build a stronger uh, relationship to him. And that's what it's all about. And that's one reason, if you think about it, why we persist in the word of God. Like, why does God say, you know, gather together? Why are we to learn his word? Why is it the bread of life we need every day? One reason is to get closer to him, to get to know him better, you know, just like you'd spend time with anybody you care about, to really get to know him as a person. And uh, little by little, he reveals more and more, as long as we're willing, of course. So as I shared on Sunday, the Spirit hit me with the fact that all of us were orphans at one point. And that's, you know, maybe a different perspective, I don't know, for some of you, maybe not for others of you, but for me, it just hit me. And it gives you a greater appreciation of who God is. We were all born in sin, as you know, trapped in spiritual death, separated from God. And technically, we were all of our father, the devil, in John 8, 44, being under the curse of sin. Uh, obviously, the devil is not a good father, but that's the one that, you know, we quote unquote inherited <laughs> by sin. And on the board, we have your father, the devil. Notice there's no capitals. He doesn't deserve any caps, of course. But which one of us was not born trapped in that relationship? Trapped in the darkness of sin and death? Zero hope with an evil father, if you will. John 8, 44, Romans 3, 10 through 12, Romans 5, 8, and 19. So let's just see a little recap of where we came from because this establishes how great a pit we were rescued from. Uh, go again to John 8.34. John 8.34. Again on the board, we were all born trapped in sin and death. And the devil was our father for the time being. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Only the son can make you a son, an adopted son, 
and in that way we can live forever. Look at verse 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. That's all of us. At the point from physical birth to whenever we became born again, that's all of us. We were all born not of God, as spiritual orphans, if you will, not cared for under our father, the devil. Romans 3.10. Go to Romans 3.10. So this whole thing is to illustrate we needed a good father to rescue us, to adopt us, to save us from the uh, hopeless situation. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. And go to Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. So this just establishes how even the quote-unquote best person out there, who might be very moral even, um, thinks that this doesn't apply to them. But that verse we just read, I think there's four words. The word none is used four times. And other, other terms, too. Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So... When Adam fell in the garden, Satan had a temporary victory. He, he was given rulership of this world, called the God of this world, and he was given control for the time being of this world. But God, who loves orphans, who loves the destitute, couldn't let that lie. He couldn't let it be because that's God. That's his loving heart. That's who he is. So on the board is just a great way to describe God. Our Father, helping the helpless. Were it not for God reaching out to us and saving us, we would have been lost forever. He offers the righteousness of Christ and therefore spiritual adoption to anyone who's willing to place their trust in His Son. Again, we just read in verse 19, by the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Again, on the board, he offers the righteousness of Christ and therefore spiritual adoption. Like, how could we be in God's presence otherwise, right? Unless you're righteous. But through the righteousness of Christ, we're able to be adopted. And that is to anyone who's willing to place their trust in his son, as we know. Turn again to 1 John 3, verse 10. 1 John 3, 10. I'm going kind of quickly because this is a review from Sunday. First John 3.10 establishes the fact that uh, we're either one or the other. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So here's another way to see that we were all children of the devil at one point. Our father of the devil in John 8, children of the devil in 1 John 3.10. There's no in-between, there's no third party. There's no other option. Unbelievers don't want to hear this because, of course, they have pride, especially if they have some form of human good about them. Um, but being a child of the devil, as we talked about, what makes somebody a child of the devil? They refuse their God and Creator. 
and Savior. Isn't that what the devil did, basically? He denied his creator, his father, his Savior. I don't need you. And so that is a child of the devil. That's worse than a million sins we could think of. So it doesn't mean that, you know, when you hear this term, an unbeliever might be shocked by it, so to speak, but uh, it doesn't mean you're a murderer or a thief, although if you're honest, you might, might very well be. Uh, they might be a good person, but let's remember that Satan loves to use good to deceive people. Just so long as it's from human energy and pride, without God getting the credit, of course. Satan loves to use good to deceive people. And you might tell that to an unbeliever who is offended that you are suggesting they're a sinner too, like you. You know, Satan uses good to deceive people. He's not stupid. He doesn't go for the obvious or, or make himself seen. So the point is, we're all on the board, born this way. We hear that phrase in our society quite a bit nowadays. I was born that way. Well, there's partial truth to that, but it might need to be explained. Every person since the fall of Adam is born in sin. And of course, we all have different uh, tendencies and weaknesses of us in nature, right? We all have different strengths and weaknesses. We all have different things that we fall into easier than others because of our tendencies, part of the flesh that was passed down to us. So maybe that needs to be explained to someone. But the fact is, every person since the fall is born under sin, and therefore, as children of the devil. It sounds so harsh, doesn't it? It's like sounds so crazy to say that, and people probably would call you crazy if you say that. But it's not what you think it is. So basically, we're born under sin, born in slavery, children of a tyrant, under slavery to sin. And God saw all this before time began, and his love said, I've got to do something. God couldn't just sit back and ignore it. His passion is too great. It's perfect, in fact. Hard to comprehend. But again, on the board, we're all born this way. We're all in this predicament, in a hopeless, helpless situation as orphans who couldn't uh, provide for themselves in any way. And we had an evil father to top it off. So as we know, God came up with a plan to redeem us and to adopt those who would humbly come to his son. On the board, God loves orphans. God our Father said, I want you, I'll save you, come into my home, I'll be your father. That's the heart of God right there. If you know that heart, you know God. It's not really an oversimplification either, as we're going to see later on. If you know that heart, if you share that heart, if you possess part of that heart, you have the, a part of God's heart in you, working through you. Obviously, he's in you. But the question is whether we adopt his uh, beliefs, right? Whether we adopt his passion, his love, or not. God our Father said to us, all of us spiritual orphans, I want you, I'll save you. Come into my home. I'll be your father. No exceptions. No, you know, things that block certain people out, right? He says this to everybody. So the perspective was seeing ourselves as spiritual orphans that God has taken in. That's a foundational perspective as we discuss this topic, God's love for orphans. That's like a foundation. Like if, if we say, okay, here's the bottom line, right? We're all spiritual orphans. We're all, you know, we know we're born in sin and death, but we're all spiritual orphans. That's a good way to look at it. From that foundation, we can reach out to others, is what came out on Sunday, and be uh, relational to them. It began with all of us sinners who are now saved by grace, but it extends to others in this world who don't yet see the light, of course. And as an extension of Jesus, we reach out to spiritual orphans, and we reach out to literal orphans. So think about how God is bringing out both points so far, right? On Sunday, we're kind of going back and forth, talking about spiritual orphans and, and literal orphans in the world helping them, right? Just think about that. Why, why is God doing that, and how do they relate? 
We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But either way, when we reach out as an extension of Jesus Christ to spiritual orphans or literal orphans, it's a wonderful example of the love of God our Father. Either way, it might be both, right? You might reach out to an orphan, a homeless person, whatever the situation, and they might be both a literal, physical orphan in this world and a spiritual orphan, an unbeliever. And either way, however way you help them first, you're showing the love of God the Father, if you reach out to them, of course. So both are noble activities because they involve helping the helpless. The very thing God loves to do. The very thing God did from the beginning of creation. I know what's going to happen. I know the fall is going to come. But I have too much love to not let it happen or not even create anybody. And I'm going to come up with a plan. And I'm going to help the helpless. To show how truly gracious I am. So on Sunday we expanded on the idea of pure religion. What the Bible says in James 1 and visiting orphans and widows, and the Spirit had us consider what they have in common. Um, quite often, um, in most passages that I've seen so far on this, orphans and widows are mentioned together. Very rarely do you see them mentioned, you know, independently. So why is that? What are their commonalities? You know, one of the main ones would be on the board, a common description would be that they have lost someone in their life who loved them and provided for them. And therefore, God the Father reaches out to them with both love and provisions and calls us to do the same thing. He says, you know my love. You know what I've done for you, the loser that you were, the, the destitute person you were, the decrepit, can I, I don't need to go on. The loser that you were, you know what I did for you, if you're honest. Now I want you to do the same thing without bias, right? Without partiality, with unconditional love. I want you to do the same thing. I want you to do what I did for you. I'm not telling you to do something strange that you don't know about, because you do. And we love because he first loved us. That's where the power comes from. So again, on the board, regarding orphans and widows, and think of spiritual orphans too, a common description would be that they've lost someone in their life who loved them and provided for them. That's what a father does. That's what a husband does. And therefore, God the Father reaches out to them with both love and provisions, and he calls us to do the same. So we also see there there's an emotional pain and there's a practical pain, logistics. Right? There's an emotional loss and there's also a practical loss. Like, wow, i got to fend for myself now more than I did before. I have to find a way. Uh, God help me, right? Who knows how many people come to Christ that way? Of course, through suffering or loss. But God the Father steps in and he often provides in both of these, these ways indescribably. You may have personal examples in your own life or in people you know, but he steps in both with love and provisions in indescribable ways, surprise ways many times. And he often uses others to help with that. He uses people. He actually uses people. That's part of his plan from eternally past, right? And he puts someone in your path at the right time that should not be in your path. And there's another example. He's like, I, I knew about that. In fact, I instructed them. They listened. They asked me where to go. They listened, and they were exactly where they needed to be. That's from me, God would say. He uses people, and he wants to use us if we're willing to go out, to step out on faith to those who are in need, both spiritually and practically or materially. And again, both, both are shining examples of the love of God the Father. That's why it's not a bad way to spread the gospel with uh, physical help, right? Um, it's not, it's a way to show the love of God without having to say anything. 
So maybe that's the way for some people. That's the way you have to approach some people. Maybe that's the only way they'll listen because they're too tired of hearing so many hypocrites, so many hypocritical Christians even. So they need to see that you put your own life aside for them, that you gave something up. And they know you gave something up if you made some kind of sacrifice to help them. And then they find out you're a Christian. So it, whichever door decide, God decides to use, the front door or the back door, if you will, um, they're both showing God's love. So we've got to be open. On Sunday, we started with eternal salvation related to spiritual orphans. So let's approach that side again on the board. When we approach someone with the gospel, we're letting them know that they are spiritual orphans, and yet God wants to adopt them. They're not worthy. They might be on the streets, if you will, dirty, quote-unquote, you know, like lost, uh, unattractive, unworthy, and God wants to adopt you. So that might be an approach. We saw Romans 8, 23 through 25, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and 10 through 14. As we've seen recently, the gospel is really about presenting him, his person, and our loving God and Father that gave up his son so that we could be saved from certain death. And that's the point we come at it from. As one saved from death, let me talk to you. Right? I'm not talking above you. I'm talking to you as someone who was in the same situation and I've been rescued. And I want to tell you about my God and Father and what his plan is. It's kind of ridiculous. On the board, a gospel perspective. We might say, we're all born lost and trapped in sin. Spiritual orphans, if you will. We have no hope in ourselves. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son to pay for our sins at the cross. He wants to adopt you. I know that's hard to believe, you might say to someone who's beating themselves up, right? He wants to adopt you. You might be saying that to someone who's been abandoned by both parents. And maybe they, quote-unquote, deserved it. God doesn't care. He's like, I want to adopt you. And that's the message that can break someone's heart and get them to turn. Of course, it's got to be the Spirit's doing. But let people know he wants to adopt them as his own child. He wants to give you eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He died so that we might live forever with him in heaven. So this, that's just one approach, you know, especially toward those who are estranged from their family or their parents or whomever. And if you think about it, I was thinking about this before service, Satan's curse is God's opportunity. Like Satan loves to break up families. He loves it, right? We've talked about that in the past. Uh, we had a whole series on that. Satan loves to break up families. God loves family. So now you have Satan breaking up families all over the place in our beloved country. Horrible things done to one another. No love. But Satan's curse is God's opportunity, as we know. It's an open door because people suffering in this way are ready to listen to this message on the board. If their family was perfect, how many of them would listen to that message on the board? So again, maybe again, it's a blessing in disguise. In reality, salvation is a form of adoption. And we can rejoice that God our Father takes anyone and everyone into his family if they're willing to repent and believe in Christ. So let's see a biblical reminder again on um, God's adopting those who believe. Turn in to Ephesians 1, 4 again. Ephesians 1, 4. Again, we'll just go back one slide. When we approach someone with the gospel, we're letting them know that they are spiritual orphans, and yet God wants to adopt them. They have nothing to offer. Why would God want me? I have nothing to offer. Exactly, that's the point. That's how awesome and loving God the Father is. Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, we're going to see right now. Ephesians 1, look at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us 
to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, totally him, totally unworthy people, total kindness of God, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And look at Ephesians 1.10, the end of verse 10. I don't know why they do this, but... In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Only sons get an inheritance. Adopted they may be, but if they're legally in the family, they can receive an inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. All His glory. Why? The totally worthless, with zero to offer in the relationship, and the total pure kindness being offered to someone in that situation. No payback. That's coming up again tonight. No chance of payback. And yet kindness is still shown. Who gets all the glory in that relationship? Of course the giver. God the Father. And we can do the same thing. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God now says you belong to me. You're my child. I'm going to take care of you. And that adoption and that inheritance is sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit of promise, by our God who cannot lie. On the board, Titus 1, 1 through 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. This is the Father we need to boast about. And we can boast because He saved us first. Being adopted, we have a new Father and a new inheritance, now being a member of His family. And we shouldn't ever take that for granted, even if we already know that. You might be here like, I already know this, Scott. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, me too. Why does the Spirit have this being taught? Maybe because we take it for granted. Maybe because we, we need a new perspective to see the tremendous, ridiculous kindness of God. So that we love Him more, we grow closer to Him, and we can relay the message the right way. We also see in Scripture that we're, we're waiting for our adoption. Uh, go to Romans eight twenty three. Romans 8.23 <clears throat> We're awaiting our adoption also even though we are already adopted because we haven't moved in to our Father's house yet. Romans 8.23 And not only this but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So again, on that exciting day, we're going to see God the Father face to face, the one who freely adopted us into his kingdom. And let me also remind you of what Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross. We've seen a lot of this lately, actually. Uh, if you read John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, all that happened in a very short period of time. I believe like one day before the cross. John 14, 1 through 3 in the English Standard Version. Jesus said to the disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Talk about a good picture of an orphanage. Father's house has many rooms, many more than you can even imagine, much better than you can imagine. And it's, you're not going to be living in an orphanage, you're going to be living in a palace, because that's my father would say, Jesus. And just believe me, he's saying. Why would he say this if it weren't true? And why would he say this if we weren't orphans without him? So one day soon, this is going to be our experience as his adopted ones. In other words, our adoption will be consummated along with many other things. And as I mentioned on Sunday, it's almost like we as orphans have the paperwork now. We have the agreement signed in the blood of Christ, sealed. And we're legally adopted, even though we're not physically with him yet. So on the board again, we already said, we already saw that we are God's own possession in Ephesians 1.14. We spiritual orphans have already been adopted by our God and Father. We might say, signed, sealed, and delivered. Ephesians 1.14, but also 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Turn to 2 Corinthians 1. I mean, just think about in real life when someone gets adopted. There's a lot of paperwork, but there are legal agreements and documents that are signed, and then you have the orphan maybe spending his last night in the orphanage, knowing tomorrow's the day. And that's really all of us, because we, we don't know when we're going to die or when the rapture's coming. So maybe we should be like that every night, you know, on our knees, like, wow, this might be the last day here in the orphanage, so to speak. We're already signed, sealed, and delivered by God. 2 Corinthians 1.10. Actually, let's start in verse 9. Indeed, Paul writes, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So we are adopted already, and at the same time, we're awaiting our official adoption. Uh, It's another angle into the good news, another way to spread the gospel. And we should pray for God to bring us the right people for this particular message, because this particular message is on our plates right now for a reason. And I wouldn't be surprised if he brings every one of us somebody where this topic is what reaches, you know, reaches home with them. So we're looking at here an overall attitude. If we step back for a minute, we're looking at an overall attitude, the attitude of God, the heart of God towards orphans, us to begin with, both spiritual and physical. And we're trying to love like God. We have to see how God loves to be able to love like God, right? And we have to know the love God had for us to be able to love like God. And that's only possible by submitting to his power and his grace. No man can do this on his own. May it never be that we even try that. But the humble, obedient believer will be given the heart to do so and rightly express God's love and care towards those in need. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, I just don't have it. You know, you meet someone that you know you need to treat a certain way and you're just not there Maybe you're not in the moment. Your heart's not there at the moment. And you pray. You're like, Lord, you know, I'm not thinking clearly here. Or Where's my compassion in this situation? And you pray. And you ask him for his power because you can't do it. And then he gives it to you because it's for his glory he gives it to you. It's his love you're portraying, boasting about the Father. So on the board, let's utilize this perspective. A gospel perspective again. Isn't it easier as an orphan who was lost but is now adopted to talk to another orphan about how good your father is? 
the one who reached down from heaven to save you? Isn't it easier as a sinner, saved by grace, to approach another sinner, knowing you both share the same problem and hopelessness? Get on their level. Stop being on a high horse if you have been. Get on their level. Let's utilize that common ground to reach people. Many of you know at Christ Saves Ministries, we support a pastor, Adams, in India, who now has 45 orphans living in his home. And it's their passion and the love of God that causes them to love that way. Nothing else really can. It's not like you, the more kids you take in, you get a check from the government, like in America. No. They get a bag of rice, I think. I think they do get a bag of rice. But um, it's the passion of God that makes these people want to live for these less fortunate people, the people that haven't been taken in yet, physically and spiritually. And I was thinking about, I was trying to imagine what one of these orphans might say in these orphanages to their friends down the street, maybe that are orphans themselves. They might say, yeah, we've got it good. We eat twice a day. We have more than one outfit. The sleeping's a little bit tight, but I've got all these brothers and sisters now. I'm not alone anymore, and I'm loved. God has rescued me. And if you think about it, that's the same approach we can use in giving the gospel. God rescued us from poverty, spiritual poverty, maybe physical as well. He's provided us family that we don't deserve. He's provided us unconditional love we don't deserve. And we can approach people the same way, on the same ground there, the common ground. We can invite people in off the street, so to speak, into God's loving family and to come to our God and Father that loves freely like this, loved us freely. But we complicate it, right? Why do we do that? Turn again to James 1.27. James 1.27. Notice again, we're talking about a unique phrase in the Bible, pure and undefiled religion. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We talked about on Sunday, you know, we often ask ourselves, what does God want from us? How are we to live out our lives on earth specifically? I mean, what does God want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's one of the main things God wants us to do in this verse. What else we, could we say is one of the main things? The Great Commission, right? Go out and spread the gospel. Somehow be a part of that. Somehow, whatever your role is. How about loving the brethren? Isn't that another major one? We're told, love the brethren. Love one another. By that way, they'll know you're my disciples. And these are like obvious plain things to be seen, to be followed, to be obeyed. Why complicate it? Why, why live in confusion and be like, God, all right, well, I'm going to wait till you tell me exactly what to do. Why don't go out and do these three things? As an example. So, here we see good instructions to follow in this verse. The religion a believer lives out in his life includes care for those in need. That's the Father's heart, both spiritually and physically speaking, you know, material and spiritual. That's the Father's heart. Reach out to those in need. I met today an 82-year-old widow, awesome believer, wonderful believer, loves the Lord. The Lord's helped her through everything in her life. She's healthy as a horse. She's a widow, but she's still working right now at age 82. And her next project is, by the way, she has eight children plus five adopted children. 
And her next project is she's buying a house to have it be a foster home for kids to get them out of the system. And we don't know what to do with our time. She is in love with the Lord and she's doing it for him because she knows that's what God loves. Rescue those that need rescuing. It was an awesome, you know, awesome day because of that. It was like, I even told her, I said, we're teaching in our church that God loves orphans. Do you think it's a coincidence I'm here today? And of course she said no, you know. She's a strong believer, but what's our problem, right? How about being 82 and going to buy a house on a, on a low income? I'll leave it at that. I think she has a, a daughter or two that are going to help her with it. But she's the one leading the charge. This is her project. The daughters are going along with it. So use that for whatever you need to use it for. If we're still here, God's got a purpose for us, right? He's like, what are you doing for my kingdom? What are you doing for my purposes? Whether it be orphans and widows, whether it be the Great Commission or loving the brethren, what are you doing? The excuses we like to make, huh? But this is where the happiness comes in. This is where fulfillment comes in. This is where Jesus said, I want you to share my joy. It's in doing these things. And we're like, why aren't we happy? That's why we're not happy. One other commonality between widows and orphans is on the board. When you help those who are in distress, as James 1.27 says, you're helping those who cannot reciprocate as in Luke 14, 12 through 14. And that is a beautiful thing because that's what God did. And there's no room for ulterior motives. There's no room for doing it for the wrong reasons because you can get something back. When you help someone in distress, there's no payback. So then the question is, am I going to ignore this and stay selfish? Or am I willing to step out and love that way, the way God loved me. And we all fail. God knows, right? We all fail in this area. We get lazy, we get stupid, we get selfish. But this is another thing about this group of people that's mentioned to us, all right? Especially those who are in distress at the moment. You're helping somebody that can't pay you back. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 14, verse 12. And maybe, as we said on Sunday, that's why it says in James, pure and undefiled religion. Why is it pure and undefiled? It's helping someone who can't pay you back. Luke 14, 12. And he, Jesus, also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed or happy, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you have faith, we might say. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It reminds me of that verse where Jesus said, do things in secret between you and your father. Your reward is in heaven if you keep that in secret between you and your father. When you, when you blow your trumpet, let everybody know, you already got your reward. It's a similar concept here. But how many of you have stepped out on faith and taken Jesus' advice here as literal in this passage? You know, how many of us do this? Don't we always invite people we like? Neighbors, friends, relatives, rich people. And sometimes sometimes we do it with the back of our mind, oh, well, they'll pay me back later on. I'll get to go to their party next. And we don't say that out loud, but like the subtle motivations we have. So again, verse 13, when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Like this 
the woman I met today. She's going to be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's going to be fun to see. There's nothing in it for her to start a foster home and go in poverty and work 24 hours a day. If you'll notice, God has been tying together the spiritual with the practical. He's very practical. He's tying together the spiritual with the practical. He has us going back and forth for a reason, to see everything spiritual has a practical application to life. So instead of hyper-spiritualizing everything like we love to do, we should ask what spiritual things mean to living out our lives. And sometimes the spiritual concerns and the physical concerns collide in a wonderful way. Um, again, maybe reaching out to someone who is both a, a physical orphan at the time and a spiritual orphan. Both illustrate the wonderful love of God our Father. So at one point, we also noted the Lord promised He wouldn't leave us. We just read that in John 14 when He said, My Father has many rooms preparing a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to where I am. What a promise that is. And on the board we saw this the night before the crucifixion. John 14, 18. He said to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Same chapter as John 14, 1 with the mansions. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so, by His example... The spiritual life we're to live out is not just up here. It flows out of our hearts towards other people. It reaches out to other people. By his example, what Jesus just talked about, I'm going to come back for you and take you to where I am. I'm not going to leave you to find your way. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. We can do the same thing. He gives us the command to do it and the power to do it and the love to do it. He's like, be my hands and feet. What are you waiting for? <laughs> why do you complicate it? Why, do you, why does everything have to be perfect before you step out on faith and try something? Maybe you're a control freak. Maybe you're living in fear. Maybe you need to just cast that aside as being from the devil and say, I'm going to go by faith and not by fear. So the greatest activity on the board, the greatest example of love, John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. If you adopt someone, you're laying down your life. You're putting your whole life aside. If you take someone in, in whatever way you might take someone in, it doesn't have to be living with you necessarily, right? But if you decide to take someone in, to be there for them, and whenever they need it, you're laying your life aside. You might not be dying in that situation. You might. But you might be literally laying your own life aside, self, on the shelf. It's not mine anymore. I'm, I'm not going to be that way anymore. I can't. If I take this on... If I take this person on who has, has real needs, I can't live in myself. And guess what that means? You're going to be happy <laughs> instead of in the misery of self-pity. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So we know now love is an activity. It's not just a word. It's not just a feeling. Uh, it's not just a thought. It's an action. And Jesus said, you're blessed if you do these things. Again, he says it over and over, you're blessed if you do these things in slightly different ways. Turn again to John 13, verse 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. John 13, 13. We just read that uh, when you take in the, the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, you'll be blessed. And here we read that you'll be blessed if you do these things in this passage, which also involves other people. 
John 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. He's like talking to children here, right? Isn't this what we would say to like our own children? Look, son, I just did this. Did you see what I did? You can do the same thing, you know? I'm sure he's not talking down to us, but you know what I mean? It's that, that simple mentality. This is not complicated. It's the opposite. He's saying to the disciples, wash others' feet like I just did to you. Verse 15, for I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And that takes following through, stepping out by faith, not just knowing it, knowing what you should do. It takes stepping out into a situation that you're not comfortable in, maybe that you've never done before, and you're going to be blessed for it. And the example on the table right now is how we treat orphans and widows in distress. Regarding orphans and widows as an example of living a godly life, we looked at the righteous life of Job. And turn again as we uh, probably have to close with this passage. Go to Job 29, verse 1. We know Job was called blameless and upright in verse one, uh, 1 of chapter 1. So we asked ourselves on Sunday, what does a blameless and upright man look like? Why did God call him blameless and upright? So what did it look like? What did he do? He must have did something pretty, quote-unquote, good, at least in God's eyes, right? For God to say blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil? I wonder how Job lived. And in Job 29, it's funny, I was talking to, um, I don't know if it was... DJ or somebody after service where I don't remember reading that chapter before, even though I know I have. But this dissertation in Job 29, what a wonderful example of uh, living a righteous life that God wants us to live. Should remind us of pure and undefiled religion, of course. So in Job 29, verse 1, And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves. Why do young men hide themselves from older, wiser men? Are they getting in trouble, maybe? The young men saw, saw me and hid themselves, and the old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to their palate. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. All of this, why? Because, in verse 12, I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I investigated the case, which I did not know. That's a really interesting thing to think about. Not only was he a father to the needy, he investigated the case, which he did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. So we see the lifestyle of a blameless and upright man, it looks a lot like pure and undefiled religion. 
on the board again. Why was Joe blameless and upright? He defended the weak and spoke up for them when no one else would, just like God did for us. And people knew he wouldn't overlook their unrighteous activities against the orphans and widows. Um, again, back to that verse in verse 16. I investigated the case which I did not know. I mean, that means that's not investigating a case someone tells you about or brings to you to your table. This says, help me with this. This is investigating a case I did not know. In other words, you see something is off. You see something's wrong, and you actually step out by faith and look into it, even though it might not be your business. It's an interesting thing. But when you see injustice, you help the needy, like God does, right? Again on the board, people knew he wouldn't overlook their unrighteous activities against the orphans and widows. In fact, he fought for them, even though it wasn't his fight. Job 1, 1, 29, 1 through 17. And because Job belonged to God, he knew God. See, Job personally knew God's kindness towards him. He was overwhelmed by it, we might say. So what did he do? He lived in it. He, like, passed it on with love and with, with eagerness, with, with the passion of God. He lived in eternal life because he knew God. So I found this verse I want to share with you as we close. Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen. He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. Is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? How much does that say right there? We talked about in the beginning of the message. Helping orphans or, or loving orphans is the heart of God. That's his very heart. Both the spiritual orphans, thank God he loved us, and then the, the literal orphans, the physical, the widows, whatever. Anyone in need, distress, that's the heart of God. Is that not what it is to know me? He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. Is that not what it means to know me? declares the Lord. Sounds like Job knew God pretty darn well. And there we have a picture of pure and undefiled religion that James is talking about. So beautiful how it all goes together, literally thousands of years apart from one another. So we'll end with this last point, I guess. There's plenty of need, you know, in our world and in our lives. Um, we really shouldn't be thinking too hard. We don't have to go too far, really. We talked about people raising children, you know, by themselves. Could be a man or a woman. Usually it's a woman who somehow is stuck in that situation, sometimes through her own fault. But nevertheless, what does God do? He reaches out to the undeserving, right? The orphans that maybe even put themselves in that situation. He reaches out to the needy, out of grace. And in one particular uh, category, he defends the fatherless. The Bible often calls orphans the fatherless because the father is usually the provider in the family, especially if the mother is staying home to properly raise the child. And you can see that in Psalm 68.5 and 146.9, which we'll see on Thursday. So... There are many needs, and the question is if we're going to decide to continue to make excuses or not, you know? Because if you can stay home and hide from it all, right? We all do that pretty well, in, and especially in our culture. We like to isolate ourselves. But God says, I want you to step out, and you might even be hurt by stepping out, like emotionally, physically, laying down your own life. Laying down your life can involve a lot of things. But that's what I did. I left heaven. Are you leaving heaven? to save somebody I left heaven so follow my example again on the board God loves orphans do like God real simple not complicated by faith you're going to have to have faith you're going to have to ask me for more faith if you need to but you can't get around what I'm asking you to do and again in John 13 17 
Jesus said, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Let's close on that note. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your straightforwardness and the plain truth of your word that we can know how to please you and we can know how to live in your love, what your purpose is for us, even day to day, Father. We ask, Father, that you give us more faith, help us break out of our own normal things, things we think are normal, things we think are good. But, Father, you have plans for us that are not of this world. Father, we ask that you guide each and every one of us Help us go to you in prayer and listen for your direction. And we thank you for the privilege of serving you in this way, Father, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this lost and dying world. We ask all these things on the merits of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior alone. And it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.